Welcome to Gateway Church's Sermon of the Week, where our goal is to equip the believer to do the works of the ministry. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Let's go ahead and gather back in. We do want to let you know if you have children that we do have someone in our nursery that will watch your children tonight. So if you do have children and you would like them to be um, watched, just go through that door through the nursery and that will be taken care of. Um, Indiana Bob, would you stand up real quick too? How many love Indiana Bob? All right. <laughs> I love that guy. So tomorrow at 1.30, Indiana Bob and, and um, we're going to meet here and we're going out street evangelism tomorrow at 1.30. Bob will be leading us. We'll train you. We have Bibles. We have bands. We have everything you need. Um, it's going to be powerful. So if you want to be trained, show up here tomorrow at 1.30 and we'll do that. But let's go ahead and welcome Robbie Dawkins as he comes up and ministers to us tonight. Come on, Robbie. sort of just <laughs> coming through. <laughs> awesome. Well, just let me tell you, I must really love you people because right now it's killing me not to be in the Ukraine. This has been, <laughs> I was actually day before yesterday looking at tickets and I was like, mm, this has been so hard. We've got a team there though that are <laughs> amazing. And so they're doing an incredible job. We've got about uh, 10 people on the ground that are uh, collecting trucks and food and all this stuff. And uh, we had, and um, I tell you, you know, when 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 bad stuff hits, it's always it's always it gives the opportunity for the church to really shine, and it gives us the opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And uh, there was a Catholic uh, family that uh, contacted us and from Poland and uh, gave us $12,000 for food uh, to help out and for medical supplies. <clears throat> and we got a massive 24-foot uh, truck uh, that we're filling up with food and taking it right into uh, Kharkiv. Um, Kharkiv, of course, is where the bombing started, where the, uh, where the uh, Russian Federation Army came into and where they hit first. I was just there in August and did a conference and a training there, and such a beautiful city, and so so hard to see, you know, just what's happening there and what's taking place. And so, anyway, feel the love, yeah. because right now I'm like chomping at the bit, you know. And don't think, don't think my son Micah is any calmer than I am. He is as crazy as I am, so don't think you're getting somebody that's going to be tame in any way, form, or fashion. <laughs> None of us are, really. But anyway, I'll talk a little bit more about that uh, here in a little bit. And uh, we've got some things to share with you from that. But let me share with you, we've got a resource table out there. Uh, some of our stuff, we've uh, actually, Micah helped us do this. We sort of rebranded. So look at the titles really close. They are, they're still the same titles, but the covers are different. So I don't want you to think you're getting a different set of teachings if you already got those teachings. 
But Identity Thief uh, is a DVD set. This is about uh, three hours of teaching from my book, Identity Thief. Uh, we're currently out of the books. Uh, we're doing some rewrites on some of them and uh, putting in some uh, more updated information from, from when they originally came out. And so uh, this is kind of the crux of the message and kind of gets to the point of what we're talking about with uh, Satan trying to steal our identity. Satan's the ori original identity thief. And so instead of stealing uh, your... Anybody ever had anybody take your credit card information and start spending their money as if they're you? Or your Bitcoin? I don't have any Bitcoin, but... Uh, or whatever, whatever. What is what is the other name for it, Jacob? Crypto, cryptocurrency. Um, I don't, I don't have any of that. But it's just because I'm old school, and I'm like, I don't trust it. But it's probably great. I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know about these things. I know about the kingdom of God. This talks about that. And so this is uh, information, just understanding when the enemy came in, he's hijacked all of our identities. He's, he's taken our identity and he's acting as if he is us. When God formed this world and he gave Adam and Eve dominion over it, Satan is currently, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the God of this world. Not capital G, little g. So that's a mimic. That's, that's not the, you know, the original. But he is, he, and that was supposed to be our place. That was supposed to be our, our right and our appointment of God. But we gave it away. We abdicated our position. We gave it away. And let me tell you something. Satan only stays in power when we operate in unbelief. Our unbelief keeps him in power. God didn't appoint him as the God of this world. We did. And so we got to take it back. So just praying for revival to break out into a place and for, you know, the Lord to come and rescue all of us. You know, I grew up, I'm Pentecostal. I didn't grow up Pentecostal. I am Pentecostal. I grew, I grew up, you know, we, we kind of looked at it from the perspective of that, you know, the Lord was going to come and rescue all of us and sort of pull us out of the mess that we made and da 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 No, he wants us to turn that around. That's a responsibility we have. And so we gave it away. We got to take it back. And that's why Jesus came was to reinstate us and to give us that authority and that power. Anyway, identity speaks to that and talks about it even in our personal lives and how that affects us. Breaking Darkness is a four DVD set um, talking about deliverance ministry. Um, it's, nine, it's a nine-part series that I did for TVN. And so uh, on, on deliverance ministry, nine 30-minute uh, segments. And so if you're interested in, in deliverance ministry, um, it, uh, it speaks to that. And then Do What Jesus Did is my first book. The premise of the book is Jesus came to restore that which was lost. And he came to, uh, that is not a.k.a. the lost. That is restore dominion, power, and authority. And that we have to start operating that. We're not, you're not waiting for God to give you anything. He's already given it to you. You just got to activate it and start operating it into it again in order to take it back. We have a workbook that goes with that. It's got a DVD that goes with it. This is like going to school, man. I mean, this will light the fires and kick the tires. This will get you going in every way in, in stepping out in power ministry, especially in power evangelism. And then we have these USB drives. The silver ones have all the video teachings on them that are back there with the exception of Breaking Darkness. We didn't add that one in, did we? Okay, yeah. And then, um, and then uh, the black ones are all the audio drives. And then this is our Take a Toll shirt. I don't know if you guys remember me talking about this before. But who, who, who has not been here when I was here before? 
It's not bad. Okay, good. All right. So fresh blood. I like that. So <laughs> take a toll is, uh, is, is whenever the enemy comes after you, don't just sit back and take it. Don't just run to your prayer closet and hide there interceding for him to go. You got to take action. You got to take, you got to take back uh, things. And so whenever the enemy comes after you, uh, we fight back by going out and praying for and ministering to other people. That's a part of how we fight our battles is, is by going out and doing the works in the ministry of Jesus. Man, you want to back the enemy down really quick? You do that, he'll back off. You know, we, when, we were, when I was pastoring in Aurora, Illinois, we had this thing basically that we were saying to the enemy every time we would have a, a murder or, or a violent crime we would go to the area where it was where it had committed, and we would end up leading three people to Christ. We wouldn't stop until we led three people to Christ on that block in that area, and we were basically telling the enemy, "We're going to take more than you take. It's going to cost you more than it costs us." So every violent crime, everything you do, we're going to take a toll. You're going to have to pay for that. There's no freebies. You're not crossing our land, um, you know, for free. And that's basically what the back of that says. This is a large. Who wears a large that wants one of these? Hey, I saw your hand first, and you're wearing a sweater. You look like the kind of man that I want to put a T-shirt on. So give that to you. Thank you, sir. Oh, yeah, let me do this too. How about um, do what Jesus did? Who has not read the book that wants to get it and that will get up here quicker than anybody else because I don't want to pick. That was, that was, that was fat. I think he's a little bit older than you, <laughs> but he beat you. I'm just saying. So let me give this one away too. We usually don't give away the field guides. Now this is a 10-week course. You can't just come and take this. You have to promise to go through it and do it. And trust me, once you do, welcome to your new addiction. <laughs> this will ruin you. See, this woman figured it out already. Smart lady right there. Smart lady right there. I like that. This is Jacob. Uh, he's my new PA. He's a third-year Bethel student. God bless Bethel. We love Bethel. They are a blessing to the world, uh, pretty much, for the most part. I still got a son living in Reading. I told him, I said, you know, you realize after you graduate, you're supposed to come back. And like implement all that stuff, you know? And so I'm, I'm yeah, <laughs> I feel your pain. And then I was remembering back when I was at Christ for the Nations, I was kind of doing the same thing myself. So I can't, I can't say too much about that. How many of you know the enemy's not playing nice? How many know that? How many of you know that the devil is, is out for blood? And he is, I, I was, uh, I got a message on, Saturday from Gene Bailey. Do you guys know Flashpoint? Anybody watch Flashpoint? I got a message. I got a text from Gene Bailey, and he they were at the national, I don't know, some sort of media thing. And he said, "We have word." He goes, "We're we're hearing word that you're stuck behind enemy lines in the Ukraine. Is it true?" And I texted back and I said, "Rumor of my demise has been greatly exaggerated." <laughs> I said, I am not stuck behind, you know, and they were, they were remembering, you know, in January getting arrested and all of that, you know, when I was in Afghanistan, and so they thought it was the same thing happening there. 
And I, 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 our pastor at our church this past uh, Sunday invited Micah and Jenna uh, to come up and pray for them and bless them as they come here. And when he did that, he asked me to pray for the Ukraine. And I shared that with him and I said this. I said, the truth is there are no enemy lines. Because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Now, what the enemy is doing is he's trying to plant flags and state claims but the earth is the Lord's. And we are, as Paul said, ambassadors of Christ. And we've got to act that way. We have, to, we have to walk our walk in that fashion. We have to walk our walk that way. And this is a time and a season where things are crazier than they've ever been. We are closer to socialism and communism in this nation than we've ever been before. And we have people that claim to be patriots that will give this nation away in a heartbeat uh, because somehow it's going to pad themselves. Let me tell you something. Leaders don't look out for themselves. They look out for the whole. But what we're seeing now is leaders that are looking out for themselves. You know, and what, what is taking place is a whole, different, a whole different thing. And they're trying to protect their uh, investments, their assets, while giving all of ours away. And that's where, that's when we see as the people of God that we have to be wise. We've got to be wise as serpents. We've got to really step up more than ever before. And so it's, it's important that we understand, you know, that, that, that what, what the plot of the enemy is in this day and in this time. And Satan's not playing fair. It's hard to know. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, can I just talk straight for a minute? Is that okay? Like as if I haven't so far, but can I just talk straight with it? You know, the scripture says, you know, in the last days there will be wars and rumors of wars. We don't know what's going on right now in the Ukraine. That's the truth. We don't know. You know, this whole thing could have been provoked, but I will tell you right now, it was invited as soon as we threw Afghanistan under the bus. We told every ruler of every nation that would seek to, to, you know, to bring our demise that we're free game. And that they can just come in and take anything that we won't step in and we won't you know, defend and protect. You know, and, and, and the truth is, is that you know, uh, the, the former president, Donald Trump, he had, uh, really should be current president, but when you steal an election, that's what you get. But what happened is, and, and if I offend you, Good. I'm not sorry in the slightest. If I haven't offended you yet, stay with me. I'll get you there. I don't care about offending people anymore. I think God's offended, honestly. But all of a sudden, we're in a place and a time where that, you know, I mean, who knows what, what is going on. But what, what, I mean, his plan in withdrawing uh, troops and everything was to keep, he had every, every major leader, every, every mayor of the city, every governor in the areas, they had different titles in that in Afghanistan. Every police officer, every military person was being paid, their paycheck came from the U.S. government. Now you may think this is crazy, but it was brilliant. Because in that part of the world, money talks. Leadership doesn't because they're a tribal you know, group of people, they think in tribal, you know, thinking in Afghanistan. And everything is what tribe are you of? What people group? All the, all the Taliban are from the Pashtuns. The Pashtuns are the scrappers, the fighters, they're that, that group. The Hazaras are the, the most hated people group because they're descendants of Genghis Khan. 
They were uh, mixed with the Afghan and Genghis Khan when they came through and raided Afghanistan. So they're very despised and very hated. Um, but they're some of the sweetest, most precious people and where most of the Christians are. I mean, that's, isn't that how God works? You know what I mean? I mean, you know, he picks a, a leader like William Seymour, a former, former slave, blind in one eye, and makes him the birth of, of Pentecostal and, and charismatic movement today. We all, all of us are, are, are spiritual descendants of William Seymour. We really are, because he was the, you know, the pastor of Azusa Street and that revival that happened. But God always takes the least and brings them to the top, you know, because of just the way God works. He's always working, you know, in reverse of our system. But... Afghanistan, all of, those, all of those people were being paid, but then what happened is that, and so Donald Trump was, tre- was treating uh, Afghanistan as an acquisition. Again, it sounds crazy to us. Now, he was saying, you elect whatever leader you want. It's a free democratic system. You elect whatever leader you want, but their paycheck comes from us. And whoever you get your paycheck from, who's your boss? So he's basically saying, we're keeping you in check. You're getting paid from us, so you, you, your accountability is with us. And it was a brilliant plan, and it was working. It was working well. Afghanistan was stabilizing in an amazing way. And, uh, but that's the only way to explain that. And, of course, when did those paychecks stop? January 20th of last year. As soon as, as, soon as uh, Biden was elected, he stopped all of those pay, uh, stopped all those paychecks. And then until August... None of those people, the police, the military, none of them were receiving any money whatsoever. So when the Taliban rolls into town with truckloads of U.S. cash, where did that come from? All of a sudden, they were like, lay down your weapons and we'll pay you all the money that you were supposed to get for the past seven months, eight months. And, you know, if you just lay down your arms and go home. So they did. Their families were starving. They had nothing uh, to eat. And so they, th- that's what happened. And so therefore, you know, the, 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 we gave away and we threw this entire nation under the bus and left. I mean, there were literally keys and Humvees. Are you serious? Tanks with keys. I mean, a good friend of mine is, is uh, Colonel Allen West, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West. And he told me, he goes, Every time we would leave it, we would blow the ignitions. We would blow up the ignitions. You just don't do that. And we would blow up all the ammo whenever we let. All of it was left untouched in perfect condition. And so it was just foolishness what happened. And so we're trying to figure out how did we end up in this? How did, how did Putin end up getting the message somehow that we'll just roll over and not help, which if you saw the State of the Union, whatever that was, I don't even want to say a speech or address, but whatever the State of the Union thing was, there was basically just, you know, just uh, not, not, no, there was a pledge to stand. Everybody's wearing, you know, united with Ukraine stickers and flags on there, but nobody really was because there's no commitment of aid or anything like that. What I love about that is the church has risen up. And believers and ministries have flooded that region. Our guys have been having a hard time finding even hostels to stay at because so many missionaries and Christians have gone in there as well as, of course, Ukrainian, you know, refugees fleeing, you know, but have gone into Romania and to Poland and stuff. And, but anyway, be praying right now. We've got uh, two different truckloads, guys head, heading to Kharkiv, uh, 
to, uh, as we speak right now. They're driving through the night. It'll be morning within a few hours and uh, trying to get food and supplies because they're completely out in Kharkiv. So anyway, be praying for them as you go along. But what does that say to us? It says to us, this is a time more than ever that we need to rise up as the church of Jesus Christ. Why? The hope of this world is not in any government anywhere. We are citizens of the kingdom of God before we are citizens of any nation. We are, we are truly citizens of the kingdom of God before uh, citizens of any nation. With that in mind, I want you to turn with me to 1 Kings 18. It's one of my favorite passages. And one of the things that we need to realize is the way that we can see an impact being made and being done, and when we do uh, these kinds of uh, things to step out, is we need to more than ever share the gospel in our communities more than ever before. To not do that is for us to abdicate our position, as Adam and Eve did again with the enemy. You want to keep empowering the enemy? Stay shy when it comes to the gospel. Keep quiet. Keep your mouth shut. Worry about what people think of you. That's the hook the enemy tries to hook every one of us with. And it's the thing that will destroy the nation and it will destroy our society and everything in it. We have, uh, of course, you know, too, we're, of course, still working and taking care of and providing for Afghans. We'll show you a couple of videos of that over the next uh, two services to, to communicate what we're doing in that. And uh, these guys were literally at, at the, uh, several of our guys were at a military base. These are major underground church leaders in the, in the underground church of Afghanistan. And my friends were there at a Virginia uh, base. And they erected a temporary mosque on the base in the, in the, at the military base uh, for all these Afghan refugees. And they put... Uh, our guys, in, in, they put them in containers. They would not let the Christians stay collectively together, but they intermingled them. So they would put one Christian family with dozens of Muslim families in a container. They, were, they, were living in, they weren't living in barracks or anything like that. They were living in, a sh in shipping containers, sleeping on the floors you know, of these shipping containers. And so all of these uh, Muslim you know, uh, Afghan Muslim refugees were persecuting them, beating them, kicking their children, doing all sorts of things. One of the ladies that was uh, uh, one of the uh, groups that we're taking care of now, you know, she lost her child for being kicked in the stomach so much. Uh, she was pregnant and uh, with her third child. I mean, terrible situation. Uh, and, and, but they went uh, because they, they, they pulled truckloads of, of uh, Qurans that they pulled onto the base and they were handing out Qurans. Well, all of the Christians gathered and they went to the, uh, to the officials, the people that were over them, and said, hey, we want Bibles. You gotta realize most of the Afghans do not have a, a hard copy Bible because if you're caught with that, you're killed. And so all of them had the apps on their phones and, and various devices. And so they could immediately delete it if they were caught and therefore they wouldn't be killed. So none of them had hard copies of the Bible except for my friend Zahir, who's just, you know, about five hours away in, in, now in Louisville. Um, and he, he always kept, this guy was amazing. He would keep, I, I just love this. He lived in Kandahar. Now Kandahar was the headquarters, am I boring you? Kandahar is the headquarters of the Taliban. I knew I wasn't. I just wanted to ask just for my own, to deal with my own insecurities for a minute. Thank you. But anyway, he would, 
Zahir is an amazing dude. I mean, incredible, incredible guy. But he would take his, after he had sat through about uh, six months of my training that we were doing with them and talking about faith as risk and turn up the risk and don't back off from, he, he displayed his Bible in Dari in his uh, window of his carpet shop his Persian rug carpet shop, so everybody walking by could see, and he had the page on John 3.16 highlighted, underlined, so everybody could read it, everybody could see it. And it was amazing because they never killed him. I mean, you have to realize Kandahar was the place where all of the Taliban were seated, you know, in that moment. And he was just, he's bold as a lion. Like, he's like, if they kill me for this. And his daughter at 12 years old was at school and they, uh, one of the teachers pulled her up in front of the class and said, I want you to explain what being a Christian is. Now, just to be found out as a Christian could get you killed. But then on top of it, to be pulled in and to be able to... Now, she told me, her name is uh, Fatima. And Fatima told me, she goes, she goes, I was absolutely terrified. She goes, because they could drag me out back, kill, stone me, kill me. And, and they, there would be no repercussions for that. There would be no consequences for that. And she said, but I started to wait for a minute. And she goes, and then the Lord spoke to me and just said something that he had said to me many times in times when I would choke. And we're about to read it from this passage. He just said, Mount Carmel. Yeah. And so we'll, we'll, we'll hit it here in a minute. And I'll, I'll get to the point. Of it. And so she immediately, 12 years old immediately took courage, stepped up to the front, and began to preach the gospel, you know, in front of the class. She was supposed to get up for five minutes. The teacher intended her to do that in order to mock her and to get all of the students to criticize her and persecute her through mockery and all this. Instead, they were weeping as they heard it. The teacher got so angry after 45 minutes of her preaching that she finally stopped her and ran her out of the classroom with a broom, chasing her out of the classroom, and told her to go straight home to school. Well, her route home to school, her mother would come and retrieve her from the school because it wasn't safe because an Afghan girl going to school, if the Taliban in Kandahar, where the Taliban is, where the headquarters is, would typically get you killed. Many of them, they would ambush them as they would come out of the schools and they would kill them uh, because they didn't want any female getting educated. And so, she, so she's crying because she's thinking, they're making me leave early. I don't have an adult with me. And I'm a young female walking alone. If the Taliban see me, they'll kill me for not having a male with me. Yeah, but we don't understand any of these things because this is not our culture. But immediately, uh, the, the cleaning lady of the school was standing in the back of the classroom, heard Fatima share, and she goes, she told her as she walked out, basically, sweetheart, can I walk you home? I want you to tell me more about this Jesus. And so the woman walked her all the way home. And, of course, before they even got home, she accepted Christ, gave her life to Christ. And Fatima told me, she goes, it was the first fruit of many. She said about 10 girls over the rest of the, throughout the end of the year ended up giving their lives to Christ. And I'm sitting there going, God, can we just have the courage of a 12-year-old Afghan girl? in the church here in the United States. Could we just, could we just have that kind of courage, you know, uh, in, that, in that moment and in that situation? But it's, it's incredible. Anyway, let me get back to what happened on the base. They went to the base and they said, hey, this is a Christian nation. 
They said, we want to go to church. We're Christians. We want to be in church, and we want to invite some of these guys into church. And they were told by the leaders of the military base, you better not dare even try to walk into one of our chapels or even approach any of our chaplains, a part of the military, or we will, we will send you back to Afghanistan. Knowing that they were on the top of the list of who would be killed if they returned. And this was their threat to them. And then when they asked for Bibles, they said, no, we aren't giving any Bibles, only Qurans uh, to you Afghans. And they refused to give them Bibles or Qurans. And they were literally crying, saying, but you don't understand. This nation is a Christian nation. And the leader looked at them and said, no longer. And so this is, we have lost a major part of our identity. And why is that? Because our leaders aren't strong enough leaders. Sure, a part of that. It's because the church is not a strong enough church. Let's be honest. We're not being strong enough. We're not being vocal enough. And by that, I don't mean obnoxious. I don't mean offensive. Again, I may offend you. Jesus offended people. I'm looking at some guy saying, hey, I got to go bury my dad, and I'll come follow you. And he's like, yeah, let the dead bury the dead. I mean, that's a bit offensive. You know what I mean? A little bit offensive. Jesus didn't seem to care about offending. And I want to take a look at Elijah here, who also doesn't seem to care about it either. But I really want to glean some things out of this passage because I believe this is the time that we're living in. Somebody sent me a, my sister, uh, Debbie, sent me this uh, video of, of Paul Wilbur uh, singing, These Are the Days of Elijah. If you, haven't, if you haven't heard that, I mean, it came out in integrity a long time ago. It's just, I know I'm an old guy. But my goodness, Paul still got it. You know, he, I did a conference a couple of uh, years ago at a Messianic uh, Jewish gathering in, in North Carolina. And Paul was leading worship. And I was, just, I, I was like, Lord, just take me home now. I mean, this guy's so anointed and so full of spirit. But it's so powerful. Seriously, go and listen to that. Listen to that, that, that worship song. Anyway, let's look at 1 Kings uh, 18, verse 7. As Obadiah was walking along, he suddenly saw Elijah coming toward him. I love this. Obadiah recognized him at once and bowed low to the ground before him. Is it really you, my Lord, Elijah? He asked. Now let me stop right there. Obadiah responds to the prophet... You know, and you gotta, if you, if you remember earlier on, Obadiah was one who hid, uh, I think it was two or three hundred uh, different, uh, you know, believers, prophets that were, that were of the Lord, hid them in a cave, protected them, fed them, took care of them, which is why we're doing that, you know, for the Afghan church, you know, because that's our responsibility as people of God. You know, Paul said, take care of your persecuted brothers and sisters as if it's your own family. You know, we want to care for them as if they're our own family. And so he stopped uh, and said, uh, uh, or rather a hundred of them. I'm sorry, it's, uh, in verse 4 it says a hundred of them. Um, in two different caves. But it says that uh, Obadiah sees Elijah coming. He's approaching and he bows down. Now this is very similar approach as we see in 1 Samuel 7, uh, 14 or 15 when uh, Samuel is going to anoint David to be king. And it says that the, the leaders of the, of, uh, of the village where uh, David was came running out of Jesse and his family came running out and bowed themselves before Samuel and said, it's shaking, trembling all over and said, have you come to bless us or to curse us? 
Now let me tell you something. God, this is a time and a season where God is wanting to restore the fear of the Lord back into our nation. But it starts with back into the church. And our attempt in, 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 in and I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, I cannot stand. I love when Chris was up here in worship. And I know it makes you feel uncomfortable, but I love it. I, made, I posted this last uh, Sunday. I cannot stand when pastors or, or worship leaders, if you've ever done this, be forgiven, be released. This isn't condemnation against you. But they get up and say, well, if you're comfortable with kneeling or comfortable with raising your hands or clapping, would you please do so? But only if you're comfortable. Let me tell you something. It's not about your comfort. God is not interested in my comfort. Parked in, in that shipping container in Afghanistan, God wasn't going, are you comfortable here? You know, he was is this okay? Do you feel good? You know, no, he didn't ask me that question. You know what, though? His presence was there. His power, I could feel him all over. You know, that's, that, honestly, that's why I thought I was for sure going to die. It's because I could feel, I just had that overwhelming it as well with my soul. I just had that sense and that presence of God that was so strong in that moment. But here, all of a sudden, you know, we, we move into this place of pursuing our own comfort. And in doing so, we sacrifice, you know, the sacrifice of praise. We sacrifice this thing that we're supposed to be giving to God. Don't give anything unless it costs you something. Give something costly to the Lord. The offering's already been taken. Don't think I'm talking about money right now. But do it there too. And I'm not talking about this one. I'm talking about any time. Make, make it cost you something. Give what is costly to God. He gave, you know, the first fruit. You know, the Father sent Jesus and, and you know, the second person of the Godhead down to come and to die for us. I mean, you know, why couldn't that have been an angel or something else? You know, but, but he gave what was costly you know, and we've got to give what's costly. But immediately, you know, people, I love it because these guys approaching and Obadiah does this. He bows down. He gives something in cost, but he's demonstrating respect and honor for this man of God who's approaching this prophet of God. And that's a statement. Now, we're not asking you, you know, like, like when we walk in the room, everybody. But I, I, was, I was preaching in a church in, in England. Now, the last place I ever ex expected to experience this was in England. And, the, and, and I, I looked at the pastor of the church, and I said, could I get a bottle of water? Now, this, this church was uh, basically a group of refugees from another nation. I said, could I get, like, a bottle of water? I'm, like, really thirsty right now. And my friend Andrew Cannon, who's a well-known evangelist there in the U.K., he was sitting there with me, and this woman came to the door, <laughs> came to the door of the office, drops to her knees, and carries the water bottle, walking on her knees with her head bowed over to me to the couch, and I'm like, I don't even want to touch this water. You know what I mean? I was kind of like feeling like David, like, you know, when the... <laughs> When the, the three captains went and fought to get the water from the well of Bethlehem and bring it to him, he's like, look, this kind of honor only belongs to God. And, and to drink this would be to drink your blood. I was like, I don't want to drink your knee blood right now <laughs> that it took to, to bow and to bring this in. It felt awkward. It felt weird. And I didn't like it at all. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about how we honor the Lord and how that we give honor to the Lord. And, it's, and this is so powerful because, you know, Obadiah responds by bowing low. And he's like, is it you, my Lord, Elijah? There's a, a place of honor. And now, now it says this, yes, Elijah replied. Now go and tell your master Elijah is here. Oh, sir, Obadiah protested. 
What harm have I done to you that you are sending me to my death at the hands of Ahab? And Ahab was the king. For I swear by the Lord your God that the king has searched every nation and kingdom on earth uh, from end to end to find you. And each time he was told Elijah isn't here. King Ahab forced the king of the nations to swear to the truth of his claim. And now you say, go tell him that your master Elijah is here. But now notice this. This is what I love. I love is that he's saying, go tell your master. And he's saying that as if it's, if, as if it's, uh, as if it's Ahab. But in response, Obadiah is basically replying, no, you're my master. Why? Because you're the voice of God. You're the voice of the Spirit. You're the voice of the Lord. That's who I serve. I love that uh, response, if I'm reading that correctly. And I'm, that's just not coming to me now, so I haven't searched it out well. So if I'm you know, mis- misplacing that, forgive me. But as soon, he goes, now I love this. He goes, go tell him that Elijah's here. But as soon as I leave, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you away to who knows where. I mean, wouldn't you just love that to happen to you? Except for you end up someplace you have no idea where you're at and no idea who to communicate with or no idea who to contact. You know what I mean? That he just whisked you away someplace. I mean, this is really powerful. And we're sitting there wondering, Lord, when are you going to give us that kind of power? When are we going to have that translation ability to be translated by the Spirit? When we start walking in the danger Elijah walked in. When we start walking in the risk level that these men and women of God walked in right here in Scripture. We're asking for more, but are we doing more? Are we giving more? Are we sacrificing more? Don't petition something you're not willing to sacrifice to get. Does that make sense? You got really quiet. It's okay. I'm not offended. I'm not bothered. That, I'm, t- I'm thinking that's, you know, you going, Selah. I'm hoping that's what you're doing in this moment at least. But you, know, you see this, and you see, and I love this because... He's like, as soon as I go away, the Spirit could whisk you away. He could whisk you away someplace. And then, you know, what's going to happen? He goes, then when Ahab comes and cannot find you, he will kill me. Yet I have been true servant of the Lord all my life. As no one told you, my Lord, about the time when, Je- uh, when Jezebel was trying to kill the Lord's prophets, and I hid a hundred of them in the two caves and supplied them with food and water. And now you say, go tell your master... Elijah is here. Sir, if I do that, Ahab will certainly kill me. But in verse 15, but Elijah said, I swear by the Lord, the Lord Almighty, in whose presence I stand. You know, let's make that where we live. Let's make that the place that we are living from, in whose presence I stand. I mean, this is a bold statement. Now, we just read some powerful declarations before we gave an offering. Those were powerful. Are we willing to make those declarations where it can be costly to us? Are we willing to put that out on the line when it may could be life or death? You know what I mean? We want to see the outcome. We want to see the power. We want to see the presence. How much are we willing to put on the line to see that happen? This isn't God withholding. God is not withholding power and authority from you. He's already given it to you. The only way we see it increase is when we start spending it, stepping out, and and tapping into it, drawing from it for a place that is extending his kingdom, and then we will see more, we will have more. 
This is crucial for us to understand because we're always saying, Lord, why don't we see this in our city? Why aren't we seeing that in our city? How are we stepping out and step, you know, and, and let me tell you where we've made mistakes. I did it as a pastor of a church. You know, I was like, Lord, you know, send everybody in here so I can pray for them to be healed. I did that. And then the Lord spoke to me and said, you want to see everybody healed? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, go where they are. I was like, but I want them in my church. And he's like, I want me in them. Go where they are. I didn't say drag everybody to Jerusalem in the ascension on the Mount of Olives. I said go into all the world. We're so focused on bringing people to where we're at that we're not going anywhere where they're at. And we expect to see more happen. We expect to see more power take place. My friends, you got to go. You got a golden opportunity tomorrow at 1.30 to step out. Seize it. Live it. Do it. Don't just sit there and talk about it and come and tell other people's stories when they come back. Get your own stories. No joke. You're getting quiet. That's all right. Don't, don't, don't try to change it now. No, no, no. Sorry, I've recognized it. It's there. I can see it. It's all right. Now listen to this. So Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah had come, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, oh, man of God. My Lord Elijah. Is that how he responds? I don't know what translation this is. This is NLT. But all of a sudden, when he sees him, he said, so it's really you, you troublemaker of Israel. How many of you want to be a prophet? Anybody want to be a prophet? A few hands. Yeah, be careful. <laughs> That's true. A few hands go, yeah, I want to be a prophet. Do you realize the tension of, of what that means? You're always in this tension of this could go really, really good or really, really bad. You know, I, I remember I was in... Uh, I was in uh, uh, Sri Lanka, and I started ministering. I'd, I'd, I'd been in, in several of these meetings, and I'm in these back, like, you know, outside of candy, outside, not, that's not the candy candy, but the city candy, uh, their former capital, out in these villages where these, you know, these people are really poor and all that. I'm ministering out there, and, and we're seeing things happen. We're seeing people get healed, people get delivered of, of uh, demons, and, and seeing, you know, just... God's presence, it, it, was, it was amazing. It was a lot of fun. And these little churches, some of them were 20 people, some of them were 65. I think the biggest one I ministered in was 75 people. Well, somehow word got back to the president of Sri Lanka. At that time was a woman. And somebody had told her what we were doing. Now, you got to realize Sri Lanka is on one of the top 10 most dangerous countries in the world. Not, it's not radical Muslims, it's radical Buddhists. And they'll kill you. They'll kill you if you don't remember the massacres that took place a few years ago where they killed 335 uh, Christians on Easter Sunday morning, you know, who were coming into church, and nothing was done about it. Nobody was prosecuted. No, they were just 335 Christians were slaughtered in the church, you know, when that took place. I posted about that on Instagram, and I had my account pulled down for a few days and told that I was communicating hate speech 
because I said, let's go out and win as many people to Jesus and win a thousand people to Christ and make the enemy pay for this. And they said, that's hate speech. So, hey, I agree with the devil on that. That is hate speech for his kingdom. I mean, come on, you know, I'm not going to deny that. It's true. But all of a sudden, you know, we, we stop and, and I'm there and, and we get, and so the, I was like, some, somebody said, hey, did you know the president of Sri Lanka has heard about some of this ministry you're doing, some of the stuff you're doing. And her sister and her husband have called for you. They want you to come and they want you to minister to them. But you got to leave tonight because it'll take two days to get there. And we'll, we'll get you there. And, and, and they want you to come. They have, a, they have a huge, they live in a mansion. It's this huge estate. It's beautiful. You'll be in the lap of luxury. You know, and we were not sleeping in the lap of luxury there. And I, 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 told the, I told the person, I said, well, the only problem is, is there's a little church I'm going to with about 60 people. They've been fasting for two weeks in anticipation of my visit. I said, I can't do that to them. And the pastor who was hosting me, he goes, Robbie, you have to understand, nobody says no to the president or their family. And I was like, I cannot do that to them. He goes, they will understand. I'm like, no, they've been fasting and praying. These are Buddhists. I'm not against that. I wanted the opportunity. But I said, tell them if they could put it off a few days, I'll come then. And so they, they were like, they were scared to report that back. They were afraid we would all get arrested for it, uh, that they would get mad and then come and arrest us. And so we ended up doing that by the grace that we prayed, we were interceding, Lord, let, that, let, them, let us have favor on that. And even the people taking that message back didn't want to take it back, just like Obadiah. But they ended up doing it, and, and we found grace uh, with, the, with the president's family, and so we were able to go. And so the day before I went to fly out, or two days before I went to fly out, we went there. That was supposed to be days of rest before the long flight back. I go into this, I mean, the most beautiful home I'd ever been in, in Sri Lanka and, and almost in the world, honestly. Uh, elephants were outside moving trees. You know, like I just, I could hardly look at them for looking at the elephants doing all I got to ride an elephant on their property. It was amazing. Anyway. But all of a sudden, as I'm sitting there and I'm minish, and they're, they're like, well, does the Lord show you anything for us? I'm like, I don't know. Let's see. You know, because this is how this works for me is God doesn't give me a lot of stuff in advance most of the time. It's just in the moment. So I started praying for them. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at this man. And I'm like, there's a, I see a, uh, I see your marriage as like this uh, log. And I said, and I see a wedge coming in to this log. And it's being driven in, and it's separating, and it's like dividing your marriage, and it's coming, and there's this. And immediately, as I'm saying this picture that I'm getting, and I don't know the ending of the picture, I'm realizing that he's having an affair. Now, this is one of the times I'm like, Lord, it would be really nice to get a heads up in advance so I could package it a little bit differently than getting it in the moment. And then the Lord's like, yeah, but you could have chickened out. And I'm like, okay. You know? And so I, I stop and I just, and I pause at the end of it. Now everything inside of me wanted to give the interpretation. Not really. <laughs> but, but was like, I could see it. I could see it clearly. And I looked at him and I said, does that make any sense to you? And he goes, well, she's dragging me to this counselor 
who's, who, for all these troubles we're going through, and he goes, I think the counselor is the wedge driver. Now, I know that's not true. You know what I mean? I know in my spirit this is not right, and that that interpretation <laughs> is way off. And again, these are unbelievers. And so I looked at him and I said, sir, I said, I got to be honest. I said, but you know exactly who the wedge is. And you know her name. And when I said that, the woman goes like that. I mean, totally, I mean, in a sort of Sri Lankan way with a little bit more of that going on. You know, she says she did it. But as she, as she did that and she looks back over at me, then, and I thought, well, she's the president's sister. She's more powerful than he is. No, turns out this guy is the wealthiest man in the country. And I'm sitting there later going, glad I didn't know that piece of information either before going in there. And I looked at him and I said, sir, I said, I don't know who it is. I said, but can I pray for you? And I said, I just want to pray. I said, because God knows, and I think you know. And I said, I really want to pray for you. And I prayed for him. The man broke down in tears. And began, he didn't say anything. He didn't give any information. He didn't validate anything. But he says, I know who it is. And you're right. And I just said, the Lord wants to help you. The Lord wants to bring healing here. The Lord wants to restore these things. He wants to, you know, and man, and it was powerful. Of course, she began to weep. It was, it was a powerful moment. And before it was over, you know, they both ended up giving their lives to Christ, you know. And it was, it was incredible. But what if I choked? There have been other times where I did choke. Where I didn't follow through. You know? Where I didn't, I didn't go for it. And thank God in this one, you know, those, I have to be honest, people are like, why don't you ever share some of those? I don't remember them as well, okay? <laughs> don't be so hard on me. I remember the ones where I didn't choke better. But I know there are many where I did. Where in those moments, I was like, you know, and just and choke. But what I've learned in doing that was that I don't want to choke anymore. I don't want to do that. I don't want to, I don't want to still have, now listen to this. So all of a sudden, Obadiah's going to get Ahab, and Ahab looks and says, is it you, you know, you troublemaker? And you guys know what this is the setup for. This is the setup for Mount Carmel. He says, go, go and bring, you know, go bring, bring the prophets of Baal. We're going to, and I love this because this is a prophet's showdown, basically. Now let me tell you something. I'm sharing this passage, and I've talked a lot already. Nobody gave me a time when to quit, so I'm just not asking. But if you got to go, go. Just leave. Feel free. The rest of us are going to levitate at some point tonight. But you go. Whatever's important to you, go do that. And so they gathered all the prophets of Baal, and I love it. Because Elijah, and what I love is Elijah is one up against 300. You realize these are God's odds. God's never going to let you go in a mass. It's always going to be one against a ton. You know what I mean? It's your back is always going to be against the wall. I and my team almost don't trust it if it looks easy. <laughs> if it looks easy, before I, I shared this, the story, and I'm hitting on it a little bit here, what, what, when I was here last time, when I uh, got arrested last year, and, 
and thrown in jail there. Man, li I literally had nine prophetic words, including my pastor's wife, Vanessa. Uh, people prophesied, if you go, she said, I see you going to Afghanistan, and you're coming back in a coffin. I had nine prophetic words that I would die. Children in Afghanistan were having dreams that the Taliban were coming in and slitting my throat in the night as I slept in my host's home. I mean, nine, like there were probably more, but nine that I heard of directly. And, and I had my staff begging me, please don't go. Are you sure? You know, this really doesn't, doesn't feel good. It doesn't, there's something's wrong in this. I'm like, that's how I know this is God. I'm serious. If it's easy, it probably isn't the Lord. If it's tough, if it's challenging, you know, I mean, see, we, we want to get that call of, you know, is it you, my Lord, Elijah? But what does that come with? You troublemaker of Israel. The enemy is always going to incite someone against you. It may be your family. It may be, it's always, it's always voices you care about. It's always voices that are close to you. It's always ones that are challenging, that, are, that we're afraid of. But man, I'm telling you right now, it's, there's always, a, if, it, if it doesn't have pushback, question it. Seriously. And so he, 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 his response is to move anyway. And so he goes and he says, go gather all the prophets of Baal. And then he says to him, and I love it because Elijah's one and he's laying the ground rules. And he goes, you go first. And you know what happens here. Now, we want to take the easy thing. God, promise me. Give me a clear word showing me exactly what you will do and what the outcome will be, and then I will go. Does that require faith? No. Not knowing the outcome and going anyway is when we walk by faith. Not knowing what will happen, not, not, not being sure, being a little shaky, being a little timp, being a little unsure. That's how you know in those moments. That's how you know God's about to show up and God's about to do something. Because we're not clear. We're not sure. And so we want to just, Lord, lay it all out. Promise me this is how it'll end up. But if we get that, again, we're not walking by faith. Okay? Is this helpful? So listen to this. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, you go first, for there are many of you. I love that. There's so many of you. I'm going to honor you guys by letting you go first. But notice how he sets the stage. This is strategic, guys. Don't, don't think it's not. Don't think this is not strategic. And we're not sure if this plan came from Elijah or came from the Lord. Now, later on, he sort of indicates that he had some indication, but he doesn't say for sure. He doesn't say that for sure. Again, this is how people of faith operate. We're not sure of the outcome. That's important. And so he's, he's, he's saying to them, you know, you guys go first because the deal is, is whosoever God answers by fire. They are God. And he said, listen, you cut up the bull, build your altar, choose one of the bulls, prepare it, call on the name of your God, which is Baal. I love it that he doesn't even say the name. Uh, it says, but do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the, do you, you guys realize this is, you know, uh, uh, St. Patrick did this same thing in Ireland. He did a similar thing in Ireland uh, with, with basically, you know, what we would know as a witch doctor, you know, type of, 
a person, somebody operating in witchcraft. Did, basically did the same exact thing. He's like, hey, if it works for Elijah, it'll work for me because it's the same God. You know? Didn't know the outcome, didn't have a word. He said, then, he, then, he called, he said, uh, then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, O Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind then. And basically, again, the, the deal was whose God answers by fire? He is God. All the other prophets have to die. And he doesn't even lay all of it out, but pretty much that he's giving the indication this is the outcome. How much do we trust the Lord to where he's basically committing his death to prove the supremacy of Jehovah? Think about that. How much do you believe in him? How much do I believe in him? How much are we willing to step out and see him show up? <laughs> Man, I can see smoke coming out of your ears right now. You're like, ooh, you know? And he says about, he goes on, and I love this. He says, but, uh, but there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar that they had made. About noontime, the logic began mocking them. You have to shout louder. <laughs> Somebody posted yesterday, uh, and it was, <laughs> I'm so tempted to say who it was, but I shouldn't. That would be so naughty of me to do that. <laughs> A very well-known, outspoken person, you know, on, you know, the church and relating to politics. A dear friend of mine, by the way, <laughs> let me just say that. And one of their, uh, one of their uh, relatives uh, came out with a thing saying, you know, mocking leaders, you know, our, our nation leaders and stuff like that is not appropriate. It's not that. And there's a part, I, I go, okay, I get your point. You know, we don't want to be obnoxious. We don't want to be unkind. We don't want to be mean-spirited. Let's read on. <laughs> About noontime, and you discern. <laughs> That's all I'll say. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed. For surely, he's only a god. <laughs> I love that. He's only a god. Perhaps he's daydreaming. Or relieving himself. I love, I think it's, I can't remember if it's the message or one of those says, maybe he's sitting on the toilet with the fan running and can't hear you right now. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> relieving himself. This, this version cleans it up a little bit. Or maybe he's away on a trip or he's asleep and needs to be wakened. And he's like, cry louder, cry louder. <laughs> and he's provoking them to cry louder. So they shouted louder, following their normal custom. They began cutting themselves with knives and swords until the blood cussed out. And I remember, you know, I remember when I was reading this early, like probably about 20 years ago. And I remember stopping and thinking, ah, Elijah was like, I don't want them to bleed out before I finish what God sent me here to do. I don't know that that's what he's thinking. It's just, it's a thought. It's a theory. I can't prove it. You can't disprove it. They gave me the mic. I can kind of say what I think. You've got to figure out. You be Bereans. Figure out if I'm right or not. And so he says, they, they raved all afternoon until time of blood is gushing out of them. Even the sacrifice. But there still was no sound. No reply and no response. Then Elijah called to the people and said, now come over here. 
They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. How many of you know that's happened in our nation? Where we're erecting mosques in our military bases and we're wondering why our military can't win wars? Repair the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel. And he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar, large enough to hold about three gallons. Now, what's Elijah doing? Digging this trench. You got it, Debbie. He's turning up the risk. He's increasing the risk. He's not even saying the Lord told me to do this. He's not, Elijah is going, my God is God. And he's about to show you. And then, not only does he do that, but he cuts up the animal, he puts it on the altar, and then he pours water on it. Not once, three times, over and over. He's pouring these large, fill four large jars with water. Four large jars, that, that, you know, that, that, that were being poured over the, the wood. Now, I don't know how it works here in Indiana, but in Texas, water is a fire inhibitor. You know what I mean? Water stops fire. This is not what you want to do. I lit a fire in my backyard the other night, Micah and I and my sons were sitting around, and, and you know, you're sitting there going, I don't want anything wet on here because I want a fire to start on here. You know what I mean? And so all of a sudden, he's pouring water. He's drenching this thing. It's pouring down. It's overflowing this trench that he dug around it. What's he doing with each filling? And that happens three times with four of these. And these aren't jars. This isn't like a gallon jug. These are huge. Pouring them over and over. That's running over. It's like each one of those, he's just cranking up the risk more and more and more. And we're sitting there afraid God when are you going to give me more power but I don't want to step out because what if I look stupid how many of you know somebody out there thinks you're stupid <laughs> go with it give them ammunition to shoot at you with if you I mean just go big you know what I'm saying Elijah is going big he's pouring it out he's saturating this and I love this because he's not holding back at all. He's soaking this. I mean, it's dripping with water. It's all over the animal. It's all over the stones. It's over the wood. It's filled this trench. It's overflowing the trench. I mean, all of this. I remember, let me tell you something. God is never offended by your trust and belief in him. I remember... Uh, my son, Cana, he's now 18. He's about to graduate high school. Cana was diagnosed with autism. Doctor said he's one of the worst cases he had ever seen. This is one of a well-known autism specialists in the Chicagoland. Uh, communicated to us that he believed it was uh, vaccination damage, that it was vaccines that had damaged him. 
And uh, because all of a sudden with, I think it was the round three of them where the most uh, aluminum, I believe, is in it, or maybe mercury, that all of a sudden it was like the lights just went out in Cana. He just all of a sudden just stopped talking. He was talking. He was interacting, looking you in the eye, all this, and then just all of a sudden just shut down. And he says, he's the worst case I've ever seen. He goes, this child will never look you in the eye. He will never talk to you. He'll never, you know, and it was just, I mean, a big, you know, and he's about to graduate. He drives, he cooks, he has a job. He, you know, um, says embarrassing jokes in front of all of us all the time. I mean, you know what I mean? He's like, you know, he, it, it, his, his jokes make my jokes look good. So I love it when he does that. But all of a sudden, you know, like Cana is just Cana. But when he was, he was about five, five or six years old, and there was this kid on the block who would always pick on him because he recognized something was off. You know, he could see it. And so he would always come and torment Cana because, because of his autism. He, you know, he didn't, the kid probably didn't know what he had, but he was a couple of years older, and he would just be mean. And, and, and so all of a sudden, I see Cana in our front yard, and Cana's got his hands on his hips, and he's looking at the kid, and he's, and about, I'm like, oh no, there's, you know, there's going to be a skirmish, I better go out there, and so I open the door, as soon as I open the door, I hear Cana say, oh yeah? He goes, well you go get your daddy, and bring your daddy here, my daddy's going to beat your daddy up. <laughs> that kid's daddy was like almost twice my size. <laughs> and I remember going, oh no. <laughs> I didn't come out there and go, Kana, how dare you? I didn't rip in it, man. I walked out, I'm like, what's going on out here? <laughs> you know? Why? Because my boy believes in me. My boy believes in me. I'm not sitting there chewing him out. I'm going to bet daddy would have wiped the pavement with me. I would have given it all I had. Simply because my son believes in me. God's doing the same thing. He's not looking at Elijah and going, now, now, Elijah. We as mature Christians would be going, you know what? That's pride. That's arrogance. I didn't give you permission to do that. I didn't tell you you were released or authorized to do that. Now let's say this. I mean, let me, let me be fair because I pastored too long not to communicate this. I mean, all of us as pastors have had to protect the people in the house. You know what I mean? And if somebody's in danger in the house, we've got to protect the flock. Don't hear that in the wrong way. Don't, don't, don't hear that as that you can just free, you know, do anything that hurts or abuses people. But at the same time, when it gets to the point where leaders are being abusive, by not really, I mean, the whole, our whole job is to equip the saints to go do the work of the ministry. Right. You know, we should be, there's, there's a young Polish Catholic evangelist in Poland who calls me every week. His name is Marcin. If you get a chance, look up Marcin Zielinski on Instagram and follow him. He's amazing. All of his stuff is in Polish. You won't be able to read a word of it. But there is a translation. And he's seeing crazy healings. He's leading tons of people to Christ. He's amazing. I'm about to do a conference with him up in Michigan. And, and, then, uh, and then later this year in Poland, we're doing some stuff together in the Catholic Church there. That means the Catholic Church is opening up like crazy in Poland. Just revivals breaking out. Really, it is. And so all of a sudden, you know, March, Marching calls me every week. 
And he, and he never asked me about any of my stories or any of my experiences. He always tells me about the latest stuff that he's done. And every time, I always say, Marchin, I'm so proud of you. What a man of God you are. Man, you, you know why that kid calls me? He's the most well-known evangelist in all of Eastern Europe. Why does he call me? Because I bless him. Why? He asks my advice. He seeks my... Why? Because I'm sitting there going, you really screwed that up. No, because I'm always blessing him. I'm always pronouncing blessing over him. I'm like, that's what fathers do. That's what fathers do. God is looking down at Elijah and not rebuking him, you full of pride. How did, no, he's like, if my boy believes, I'm backing him up. The father wants to back you up. Show him how much you believe in him. Step out. Make something cost you. And with this, it's always in our reputation. You know what I mean? It's always when it comes to our reputation. Being worried about what people think is man-pleasing. And if we're, if we're struggling with man-pleasing, who's Lord? People, not God. If we're struggling with that, that means they're God. Trust me, I know because man-pleasing is one of the biggest things I've had to battle in my whole life. Still have to battle it. Still have to go through it. Have to make tough decisions and go, well, this one's not going to like this. This one's not going to say, you know, this isn't going to go well. This is gonna, you know, hard decisions, hard things currently in my life. Very personal stuff and have to go, and I have to go, am I going to sacrifice man-pleasing? You know, am I going to put that on the altar? Am I going to, or am I going to go with, and let me tell you something. You know, people who are just always aspiring to ministry and always, we're like, well, we could lose ministry, but ministry ain't God. It is not God. Don't serve it as if it is, because it's not. It's what we do for God, but it's not God. Does this make sense? Is it, is it helping anybody? One hand? Okay, I'll take that. Okay, there's a few more. Thank you. So listen to this. I love this. He walks over to the altar and he prayed, Oh Lord... God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are the God of Israel. And this next statement is so arrogant. And that I am your servant. How prideful. <laughs> Listen, anybody who has sacrificed as much as of Elijah, they deserve that. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody who's willing to put enough on the line. And let me tell you something, God will always back you up when you use that when it's always pointing to him. But if it's pointing to me as the man of God or the woman of God, probably not. But when it's pointing to him, and it's for his, so they will believe in you. And that I'm here as yours, representative. I'm here as your servant. I'm here as your prophet. Prove that I have done all these things at your command. Oh, Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you are the Lord God and that you have brought them back to yourself. 
Now, there's a lot in that statement. That's a declaration because it hasn't happened yet. They're running off following Jezebel's prophets of Baal. They're running off this. This is a prophetic declaration. My friends, this is the power of the declaration. Right here is the power of the declaration. Even being willing to put himself on the line to say, you know, the, 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 the prophet whose God doesn't answer by has to die and the other one gets to live. I mean, this is a lot to risk. This is a lot to put out there. And I love this because he says, oh, Lord God, that you have brought them back to yourself immediately. Now, anytime you see words suddenly, immediately, all of a sudden, instantly, these are king, this is kingdom terminology. Because this is God's responding. Whenever you see those in scripture, pay attention to what happens next. Because this is God doing something, and this is a kingdom thing that is happening. And immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven, burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones... And the dust even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell down on their face to the ground and cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. We want to see a nation come back to Him? What are we willing to sacrifice? What are we willing to put on the line? What are we willing to put out there? What are, what are we willing to let it cost us? Oh, we could sit back in armchair quarterback and complain and talk about the churches down the road that are just, you know, going the whole seeker, easy, non-confrontational route. Or we could lead. We're in a day and a time where pastors are more concerned about butts in the seat than they are presence in the house. That's just the way it is. They're more concerned about how many people are filling the seats rather than seeing the presence in the house. I mean, what are we here to do? Of course we want to see butts in the seat because that's fruit. You know, we want to see that happen. But the greatest thing to draw is the presence in the house. You want to see people show up at the house, there's got to be presence there, you know? And, and, and what's our commitment to that presence? How much are we willing to let that cost us in order to see that happen? Think about it. But immediately fire call, I remember, I was, I can't remember if you were there with me that day. You remember I was taking that Spanish class in college? I wasn't in college, I know you were, this was, you were born, so I wasn't in college at the time. But I was taking, I was taking a Spanish class. I was taking survival Spanish because I wasn't committed enough to learn Spanish to do regular Spanish. I just wanted survival Spanish. And so I was taking this, this class, and I, I brought Micah one day. I thought it was this day. Maybe it wasn't. I'm not sure. But all of a sudden, we had this woman in the class. Her name was, I think it was Connie. She was a witch. Um, she was a white witch, which is really a witch, you know? And so she's like, you know, I'm a white witch, da-da-da-da. And so our teacher uh, one day, I, you know, a teacher knew I was a minister and all. This is, you know, many, many lessons in the class. And there was this girl named Heather who came in. Heather was an atheist. And she walks in to class. And I'm, I'm telling this story because it's, it's very similar to what happened with Fatima. 
in, uh, in Afghanistan and Kandahar. Of course, the price was not as costly for me as it was for Fatima, but it was still a similar type story. But all of a sudden, uh, Heather comes in, and she's she goes up to the teacher. She walks in a little bit late. We were all sitting down, and she goes, I, need, I came in. She's talking real scratchy throat. I came in just to get the lessons, and I got to go. She goes, I'm coming down with the flu. I got I to gotta leave. You know, she goes, but, but could you give me my homework assignments? I can't stay because I'm sick. And so our teacher said, yeah, just, you know, go. And she was my practice partner. We practiced our Spanish. Hers were way better than mine. But she was sitting. Uh, she says, yeah, go ahead and take your normal seat by Robbie. And she goes, I'll get that together here in a minute. But let me get these guys started on some stuff. And so she, Heather comes and sits by me. And I said, I said, Heather, when did this happen? She goes, I woke up this morning. She goes, I went to one of my classes. I was feeling, but I'm starting to feel real bad. And she goes, you know, you know I, I, I don't know what happened, but, you know, I'm starting to feel really, really bad. I got to go home. And I said, Heather, I said, if you'll let me pray for you, Jesus will heal you right now. How do I know that? I don't. That's why it's called faith. That's why it's called risk. That's what faith is, risk. And so I looked at her and said, if you let me pray for you, Jesus will heal you right now. And she goes, you know I'm an atheist. I don't believe in any of this. And I said, well, after you get healed, you're going to have to work really hard at that. Because you're about to be healed if you let me pray for you. I said, but just, I said, and besides, if nothing happens, it proves you're right, right? And she goes, yeah. And I'm sitting there going, what did I just say? Why did I just say that? I mean, I, st I really did. I started getting a little bit nervous, but I was like, thank God I went ahead and said it, you know. And so she goes, she goes, okay, do your little prayer, whatever you do, you know, make your little sign of the cross or whatever you people do. And I was like, okay, let me pray. So I put my hand on Heather's shoulder and I said, Father, I just thank you for your healing power. About that time, the teacher at the front, she goes, Robbie, what are you doing? Are you praying for Heather to be healed? And I was like, yes. And she goes, bring her up here in front of the whole class. Let's see what happens. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and I said, do you mind, Heather? And she goes, yeah, because nothing's going to happen. I don't care. This will prove my point. I was like, all right, let's go prove your point. And so we got up, and then she looks at me, and she goes, is Jesus going to heal her or not? Now, everything inside of me wanted to go to rescue theology. And go, well, he can, and I believe he will, because I know he wants to, but that's all the safe route. And as soon as I, I was well, all of a sudden I heard, just like Fatima, Mount Carmel. I heard it clearly. Well, when you hear something like that, you're like... <laughs> and I said, yes! I said, she's going to be healed in front of everybody so that everybody in here will know Jesus is Lord. He still heals today. He is God, and he's superior to everything and everyone else. Why? Because all of a sudden I had, but if I had not stepped up to the front, I don't think I'd have gotten that word. It's just the way it works. So, I, so she says, well, bring her up here. Come on, let's do it. So I stepped up to the front. And I said, how's your voice? She goes, I can't. She goes, it feels like needles and razor blades in my throat. She goes, I've got, you know, I'm sitting here. I'm in pain. I'm, you know, I've got, I've got, I'm sweating one moment, freezing the next, da, 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 da. And I said, all right. I said, we're going to pray. I said, that's level 10. 
Whatever you're at now is level 10. You know how we do this, right? And so I'm going to pray for you right now. So I reached over and I put my hand on her. And I said, Father, I just thank you for healing power. And I thank you for Heather. I said, by the authority of Christ, I command this sickness to leave her body so everyone will know that you are Lord and that you are God. And I command her body to be healed so that everyone will know that you are Lord and that you want in their lives. Now, I got to be honest, that's the first time I had ever said that. Anytime, whether independently or publicly. And like individually or publicly. And as soon as I said that, Heather gulped, and she said, oh, expletive. She goes, it's gone, in a clear voice. Perfectly clear voice. And so, and, I, and of course, I was like, are you sure? And I said, do, do something to check it. Do something. She goes, I'm telling you, it's gone. You know, she's, she's sweating. And she's like, I'm telling you, it's gone. She goes, it, I mean, it's gone. She goes, this, this is crazy. She goes, I'm in shock. And I looked over at the teacher. The teacher's like, and I said, what are you doing? She goes, I'm trying to think what I need healing for. <laughs> you know, she goes, something, something's here. Something. And she goes, so Heather, you can, you can stay till the end of the class? She goes, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm good. And so she went and she sat down. Now remember what I heard. She goes and she sits down beside me. And then all, and everybody's looking at me like I have three heads. You know what I mean? Afterwards, they're like, what is that? And then Connie comes over and she's mumbling something under her breath. I couldn't hear what she was saying. I don't know what it was. But she comes over and then she does her little Mr. Miyagi thing. And she's rubbing her hands. And then she puts it on, on Heather's shoulders and then Heather goes, oh, no. And I was like, oh. you know. And so uh, we got through the end of the class. And I said, Heather, I said, I'm going to pray for you at the end of the class. I said, but when I do, I said, don't let Connie touch you. Now, remember, she's an unbeliever. Remember that. She hasn't accepted Christ. She just got healed. But remember, it can come back seven times worse, right? You know. So at the end of the class, I, I, I put my hand on Heather's sh shoulder again, and our teacher said, are you praying for her again? Because Heather had indicated that it had come back, and I said, yes. And she goes, bring her back up in front of the whole class again. And so I did, brought her up in front of the whole class again, prayed for her again. Now, this is just, you know, sore throat, body aches, beginnings of the flu. This isn't anything, you know, huge and dramatic or anything like that. But let me tell you something. We're all thinking because it's nothing big, like it's a big diagnosis or something, that it's not big to God. Yes, it is. Every opportunity is an opportunity. Don't forget that. And so I pray for her again, and this time I'm like, because John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. You know, I'm preaching in this prayer. The first prayer was like two minutes. This prayer was like ten and I'm quoting scripture, and I'm, throwing, I'm like, I am riding this wave as far as I get it. And as soon as I finished prayer, I was like, now. And she goes, oh, it's already gone. And I looked at her, I said, run out the door before Connie comes down. You know, like literally. And she's like, okay. She grabs her stuff and literally dashes. I didn't say it's where everybody could hear it. But she literally dashes out the door as Connie's trying to chase her. And I'm like, Connie, 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 come here. i got to tell you something. And I hold Connie back, you know, so she doesn't approach her. Well, that next Sunday... 
Heather brought seven of her family members who were all, to my knowledge, maybe not all of them. I'd say at least half of them. I, if I'm in my memory, she said all of them, but I'm not, I don't remember totally clear. This is many, many years ago. But everybody, everybody gave their life to Christ in that family that morning because of that encounter. But that was a costly thing to do. That was putting something on the line. My friends, if you want to see that demonstration, of power, you're going to have to step out. It's got to cost us something. If we want to be the church that Jesus, it's got to cost us something. And we've got to stop playing it safe. We've got to stop playing with holding things back, holding, but put things on the line. Put things out there. Expect God to show up. Expect him to. If you want to see that breakthrough happen, if you want to see that transformation come, step out, put something on the line. The Lord, the same God, the God of Elijah, is your God too. And you are just as much somebody that he wants to speak through as his voice as he did with Elijah. He wants to speak through you just as much as he wanted to through Elijah. But he's looking for people that are willing to be available. People that aren't going to hold back, but people that are willing to let it cost them something to see something happen. Amen? I don't have a smooth landing. <laughs> sort of more of like a crash in the side of a mountain. Would you stand? Many times when I come, thank you so much. Many times when I come to these things, I, I always want to come from the perspective of, you know, I like, Jacob was asking me on here, what, you know, what are you preaching on tonight? I was like, I have no idea. I had a really good message that I did not preach at all. I was, I was just back in the room, Chris and I were, our, yeah, we were sat, sitting back there talking as he walked out, all of a sudden just, 1 Kings 18 just came, and I was like, okay, here's the word. Here's the word of the moment. Our guys driving across Ukraine right now, they're like, what if the Russian troops stop us? Because giving aid to the Ukrainians right now is a 20-year sentence. Take them back to Russia, give them a 20-year sentence. And these guys are all Eastern European guys. I told them, I said, don't pick the American guys. I said, I, I, I want them to be guys that are from that area because we want to equip them. We want to see them step out. We want to see that. We want to raise them up, you know. And they're like, what if we get stopped? What if we happen? I said, expect God to show up. Expect God to show up. He can do what you can't do. Don't, don't try to find a creative answer. Don't you remember... Paul even says when you're standing before, now this isn't standing before people to preach. This is standing before when you're giving account to be sentenced. He says, don't take any thought of what you should say. Rely on the Holy Spirit. And I told him, I said, but guys, be willing to put something on the line. Make it cost you something. Now, you know why they'll listen to me? Because they've seen me do it. They've seen me live that. Several of them were with me in Afghanistan. They've seen me live that out. They've watched me do that. 
And so they're like, yeah, we're listening to you, man, because you, you've, you've walked this out. You've seen it happen multiple times. What are you willing to give the Lord? Right now, just between you and the Lord, what are you willing to put on the line? What's worthy? What is he worthy of that you have? Thank you for listening to Gateway Church's Sermon of the Week. Make sure to follow us on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And for more information, videos, sermons, or events, check out our website at igateway.org. Thank you and have a blessed week.